Have you heard about the new handicapping and betting app that is sweeping the nation? It's called First Bet, and it puts the power of AI-assisted handicapping, seamless wagering, and live HD video in the palm of your hand. Thousands of bettors have already made First Bet their way to handicap, bet, and watch more than 300 of the world's top tracks. Isn't it time for you to join them? And when you give First Bet a try today, you can cash in on a huge welcome bonus. Sign up with promo code Sport of Kings, all one word, and you will get $10 just for joining as well as a 10% rebate, up to $500 for your first 30 days. With that much free cash on the line, what do you have to lose? Get started at first.com slash bet. That's number one, st.com slash bet. And don't forget promo code Sport of Kings when you sign up. And if you already have an ExpressBet account, you're way ahead of the game. Simply log into FirstBet using your username and password, and you're off to the races. Up to 18 years or older and 21 years old in certain states to open an account with FirstBet and reside in the state where such activity is legal, void to prohibit National Gambling Support Line 800-522-4700. The biggest and best of the Northwest just got even better. Introducing the all-new Muckleshoot Rewards Program with three tiers and extraordinary benefits. Play with your Muckleshoot Rewards card to earn points for free play and qualify for dining discounts, gifts, and much more. The more you play, the more you earn. Enjoy more benefits than ever before with the new Muckleshoot Rewards Program. Muckleshoot Casino, the biggest and best in the Northwest. They're at the top of the lane, straighten up, leads it by two lengths. Man, oh man, on the outside, the big Wombin, hard-ridden, tries to make headway. Homeward bound, straighten up, and Mike Smith sets sail for home. The big Wham comes out the pack to take him on. The expected two come to dispute it. Straighten up, hanging on, getting weary. The big Wham closing. The big Wham's got him. The big Wham is up to win it. The big Wham and Juan Hernandez beat straighten up in the end. That was the Big Wham, winning at Del Mar in August. Washington-bred son of Mr. Big. Looks like he's going to be the leading Washington-bred earner for 2022 with 167000 in the bank, a two-year-old. The Big Wham, a Washington-bred, uh, connections through Pam Christofferson of Barcy Ranch. Kind of worked on that mare for the owner and breeder. So there is that. We'll go over some of the leading earners for Washington for 2022 as we are getting ready to turn the calendar. Joe Withy, Vince Brune here on Horse Racing Northwest. Thanks for joining us. Dancing at the Downs tonight, 8 to 11 p.m. with Sonic Funk Orchestra. That's tonight. Yeah, Dancing at the Downs back here on Friday, December 30th. Gates open at 7 p.m. And music from 8 to 11. There's plenty of food and beverage specials as well. And we're going to have a couple more of these Dancing at the Downs scheduled for, well, Saturday, February 11th and Saturday, March 11th. As Vince opening day is scheduled. We went over that last time. And uh, Happy New Year to you. Yeah, Happy New Year to you, Joe, and everyone out there uh, listening and to all the horses Horses, you know, they get their unofficial Ooh. thoroughbreds, get their birthday on uh, Sunday, January 1st. The two-year-olds become three, three, four, et cetera. We'll be looking at those uh, three-year-old maiden races uh, starting Sunday rather than two-year-old That's maiden right. races. That's right, yeah. 
Okay, well, we're going to have Patrick Carrison on the show today. Patrick was uh, Director of Media Relations here at Emerald Downs for one season back in uh, 07, I'm pretty sure. might have been 06 uh, or 05. But uh, he was here. I want to say 06. We'll ask Patrick. And Patrick uh, was a great worker here and comes from a racing background, and that's the reason we're having him on the show mostly, Vince. Yeah, I was on the New York Post website, and I noticed Ray Carrison, a longtime uh, journalist, uh, uh, had passed at age 92. Of course, that's uh, Patrick's father, and Ray, quite a distinguished uh, man in the field of thoroughbred racing and other things. And yeah, delighted to talk to Patrick about his father coming up on the show. You bet. What a life. Uh, lived a great long life. And uh, Patrick, with plenty of siblings, is uh, that's a good thing, because Ray Carrison uh, I didn't meet him myself, uh, but sound like a heck of an individual. You so bet, yeah. Patrick will be joining us. John White's going to join us too. Santa Anita is underway. They had a record opening day handle this past Monday, December 26th, and they're back in action this weekend. Uh, wow, great jo- jockey colony at Santa Anita this year. Right, yeah, and boy, we saw that on opening day with, uh, was it Juan Hernandez winning a bunch, three or four, and... Frankie DeTore riding there, and he's going to retire at the end of the year. He's there, Flavian Pratt. So, yeah. John Velasquez, Mike Smith, you know. Right, on and on, yeah. And uh, some guy named Baffert had a big opening day, a bunch of wins. and uh, But, yeah, 41,000, you know, and I looked at that north parking lot, and I worked there many years, and that was always kind of a tell. Yeah, you were right. Yeah, you said looks like a good crowd, that parking lot. And the track apron is a good tell, and that was, and the paddock area, and those were really crowded. So good for them. They had a, a big handle. I think it was a record handle, too. So It was, yeah. Big opening day at Santa Anita, and it, it's good to see West Coast Racing doing well. That is great, yeah. Uh, great jockey colony, outstanding opening day for Santa Anita. And uh, Emerald Downs 2023 schedule is out. We're going to open on May 6th, Kentucky Derby Day. So that, of course, a Saturday opener for our 2023 season, 52 days. Um, The WTBOA Banquet, Washington Bread Honors, will be Saturday, February 25th. And we're also going to get back into... uh, honoring outstanding Washington bred horses, breeders, owners, uh, trainers for the Washington Thoroughbred Hall of Fame for 2023. And you've got a list of the nominees, Vince. I do. And uh, yeah, we're working on some of that this weekend, in fact. And uh, we hope to have the voting starting here pretty quick. But listen to this category. We'll start with trainers. Uh guy who grew up here in uh, Auburn, Washington, Mark Glatt. Everyone knows him down in Southern California now. Frank Lucarelli, our all-time leading trainer here at Emerald Downs. Bob McMeans, part of that uh, Northwest Farms dynasty there going on uh, for many years. And then uh, Blaine Wright, who has just uh, been our dominant uh, stakes trainer here the last five years or so. Uh, They are going to vie for the... uh, induction into the Washington uh, Racing Hall of Fame as trainer. Uh, then uh, horses, we got another loaded category here. Listen to this field. Uh, Attaboy Roy, grade two winner. Margo's Gift, who won that quarter million dollar race back at uh, Monmouth Park. Uh, Pure as Gold, a grade one winner in California. Wasserman, uh, one of the biggest, uh, most popular mile wins ever in the state of Washington in 08. And then uh, 
some horse called Striker PhD <laughs> who had a pretty withering closing kick here, won a couple miles. So that's that's a great category in horses. Oh, and, and you were mentioning, Joe, we'll probably go with maybe two in yeah. that category. And we're a little behind. We haven't had a ceremony since 2019. 2019, right, because of COVID. And, and uh, so, yeah, we'll get back on that this year. And the breeders, another tough category, Barcy Racing Stables. They've had the Harbor the Gold Dynasty going on, Cold Creek Farm with uh, Barbara Ratcliffe, Dunbar Ranch. Certainly significant uh, here for many, many years. And then uh, Carl and Darlene Craig, the late Carl Craig. And, of course, we all know how they did last year with Slew's Tizwiz winning the mile. So another good category there. And finally, a new category this year, owners. And we've had many, many terrific owners through the years in the state. Paschke Di Domenico. Everyone knows Mark Di Domenico. Well, his father, Paschke, of uh, Mission Macaroni fame. He had quite a colorful and productive career as an owner. He's on the ballot. Uh, Dave Mowat, who's been significant at Long Acres and certainly the last many years here in Emerald Downs, and you know him now as Tenbrook Farm. Jerry and Gail Schneider, Riverbend Stable. Well, they've been part of a couple mile winners. Yeah. Law Biden Citizen, Chum Salmon. And then uh, George and Norma Senlock, uh, everyone knows GNN Thoroughbreds. Uh, they won many, many races, a lot of stakes horses, uh, like Military Hawk and uh, Cadet Stevens, a couple that uh, come to mind. And uh, so we'll have an owner uh, this year going to the Hall of Fame. And that's that's a real good category there, too, with Dita Menico, Moat, the Schneiders, and the Sedlocks. Yeah, very, very, very prominent names in Washington thoroughbred racing history. So uh, Washington Hall of Fame. And that ceremony, by the way, will be the day before the Long Acres Mile. It'll be on Saturday before the races on Mile Weekend in August. So uh, those inductees, uh, whoever uh, wins on the vote, will be inducted on that day and always a great day. You know, I mean, it just you mentioned we haven't had one in a few years, yeah. and it shows because look at the ballot this year, how, boy, it's, any one of those are, are certainly, I'd have no quibble with any name or horse we just mentioned being in the Hall of Fame. That's right. Okay, well, uh, Washington Bread leading earners for 2022, the Big Wham, the two-year-old, two wins, two seconds. He was stakes placed at Churchill Downs, ran second in an open stake. He's got that $167,000 bankroll. The Long Acres Mile winner is number two. Slews Tiz Wiz, three wins at Emerald Downs this year, couple stakes, and $142,000. And Papa's Golden Boy, the only other $100,000 earner, as he topped the hundred grand mark, uh, of course he won that uh, Washington Cup Muckleshoot Tribal Classic over Slew's Tiz Wiz on that thrilling race, and also a Sprint Stake winner earlier in the meeting. And uh, he's had a few Washington Bread honors in his uh, on his mantle already. Zabra Cadabra back east, uh, just under a hundred thousand dollars. Five year old gelding won at Laurel this month. Anthony's Cleopatra, she's in uh, pretty good shape for three-year-old Phillies honors with her stake win and bankroll. Lynchpin Storm, he started the year in Alan Bozell's barn, got claimed first out down in Phoenix, and he didn't run in another claiming race, but he won uh, $75,000 five races this year, Lynchpin Storm. So uh, that list continues to go on, and uh, those are the top earners. Well, Vince, you know, more than ever, uh, we have horsemen uh, down the West Coast into Arizona this uh, fall after Emerald Downs ended. Uh, 
Turf Paradise course has has had their purses up the last couple of seasons. They've got the turf course, and we've got tons of people down there this year. Well, we sure do, and uh, people who are prominent in the standings here and are doing quite uh, well down there. And I think you also got a note on one of our leading writers yeah. doing something sensational down in California. How about that? Kevin Radke goes right down to Golden Gate after Emerald Downs open, or after we we closed actually we opened then we closed and uh kevin was second in our standings behind alex cruz he won the golden gate fall meet that ended uh what a week before christmas or so yeah and that's hard to do because they got those established guys down there and it's just hard to break into that uh colony but i guess the horseman got a look at kevin Ryden, and and of course blaine wright's pretty prominent down there and he put him on some live horses and People want the hot thing that's new and different and winning, right? Yeah. You know, and Kevin's reinvigorated. He's oh boy. having a heck of a year. Oh, he was so happy here this year with, uh, you know, getting a little bit under his belt from last year, 2021, and getting a David Marble Singer as his agent, and he's recently married to, got the place in Auburn. He was just a happy guy, and he had a great season, and uh, 50 years old, a win at the Golden Gate meeting. Congratulations to Kevin Radke. Alex Cruz is number four at Turf Paradise, and they've got a whole lot of jockeys down there. Not a bad place to winter, as we've always said. Mm-hmm. And Cruz is uh, doing quite well. He's our three-time defending jockey champ here. Yeah, and uh, big fan of Alex. He rides every yep. every race very hard. You know, a lot of integrity as a jockey. And uh, no, no surprise to me to see him doing well down there. And trainers, uh, Jeff Metz is number five in the standings. Your uh, Emerald Racing Club trainer. For yeah, this. and Jeff has uh, Jeff is really sharp at finding horses that fit a given meet, and uh, he's got horses that fit there, and of course here at Emerald Downs, and uh, he's got a good barn with the Tubbses and Alex Martinez, and he's got a good crew. The Hars, the Hars as owners. Yeah. yeah, you know we saw him out here on. Uh, on uh, opening day for Santa Anita, and and yeah, he Jeff is I'm glad to see him back here at Emerald full time the yep. last couple of years. Jeff Metz number five in the Turf Paradise standings, and tied for uh, Val Lund is seventh. Of course, Val hasn't trained at Emerald Downs in quite a few years, but uh, spent a lot of time at Long Acres, and of course had Attaboy Roy here in 2009. That was a great mm. summer here. She got bo- a win with Bodenheimer, a couple starts yeah. back down there in an allowance race, who was our, what, Washington Horse of the Year a couple right. years back. Yeah. And Frank Lucarelli, George Rosales, tied for ninth in the standings. And again, just a lot of barns down there at Phoenix, lots of jockeys. George Rosales, our leading trainer from... 2022 uh, winning at 21% down there and of course Frank Lucarelli uh, seven-time jockey or trainer champion here at Emerald yeah and we saw Charles Essex and Blazing Bella Blue uh, in action at Ah, Paradise yeah a couple couple recent starts yeah she's up for Washington Bread Honors again a stakes winner again this year and very versatile sprinter routes uh, uh, dirt or turf for Blazing Bella Blue Bred and owned by Charlie Essex and Petra Lewin. So uh, there is, is a little bit update there. Once again, dancing at the Downs tonight. If you're not doing anything, hey, you can save five bucks as well if you get your tickets at emeralddowns.com. Ten dollars 
right yeah. now. And uh, if you know, you're waiting to get tickets at the door, they'll be $15. And I understand Joe with you will be making an appearance at Dancing at the Downs well, tonight. Uh, yeah. Uh, management's got a little something for me to do. Not sure what yet, but I'll certainly help out. As, uh, as we, we're watching Huge Bigly come up the rail here at some live racing from Oaklawn. Looks like Mike gets second. Yeah, good run for the Mike Puich trainee. Made a real good run because I, I, when I was signaling you on the turn, I thought he was going to run last. So he got into gear late, and that was an improved effort. And you know, he's not one noted to, uh, for coming off the pace no, a whole right. bunch either. So that's, yeah. that's a good race for Huge Bigley for Todd and Sean Hansen. Okay, we're going to take a break. We're going to come back with John White here on Horse Racing Northwest. Have you heard about the new handicapping and betting app that is sweeping the nation? It's called First Bet, and it puts the power of AI-assisted handicapping, seamless wagering, and live HD video in the palm of your hand. Thousands of bettors have already made First Bet their way to handicap, bet, and watch more than 300 of the world's top tracks. Isn't it time for you to join them? And when you give First Bet a try today, you can cash in on a huge welcome bonus. Sign up with promo code Sport of Kings, all one word, and you will get $10 just for joining, as well as a 10% rebate, up to $500 for your first. 30 days with that much free cash on the line what do you have to lose get started at first.com slash bet that's number one st.com slash bet and don't forget promo code sport of kings when you sign up and if you already have an express bet account you're way ahead of the game simply log into first bet using your username and password and you're off to the races up 18 years or older and 21 years old in certain states to open an account with first bet and reside in the state where such activity is legal void to prohibit national gambling support line 800-522-4700 the top of the stretch at the rail escape artist hanging top joined in the center though by smart code and smart code has taken command dandy man shines is starting to finish with interest smart code and a resilient escape artist come for the wire together smart code smart code wins it by about a neck that was smart code winning on monday past at santa anita opening day for the great race place and back in all of its glory, the most beautiful track in the country. Had a great crowd on Monday, December 26th, and a record opening day handle. And Vince, uh, smart code, you got a little tie to that horse. You made some money on her Monday, for one thing. Did, yeah. We'd been following her a little bit and had her on the, gave her on the podcast the previous yeah. start where she ran okay, showed some improvement, and then put it all together with a nice big middle move for the victory and yeah john can fill us in but those opening day numbers john they were big john welcome to horse racing northwest and happy new year happy new year to you guys yes smart code and honor code uh, cult that uh, added the blinkers and got the victory before a crowd of over forty thousand on opening day trainer mark latch who really has uh firmly established himself as one of the leading trainers on the tough Southern California circuit. Of course, his father, Ron Glatt, with ties to the Pacific Northwest, a longtime trainer at Log Anchors, and uh, once held the record for most wins in a meeting at Playfair mm. Race Course in my hometown, Spokane, uh, a record that only stood a short time, though, because it was smashed by Tom Roberts, who would go on to uh, win a number of training titles at Long Anchors. But yeah. uh, Bob Baffer, really the big star to me on opening day at Santa Anita, because he did something that had not been done in the 88 years of opening days at Santa Anita. Baffert won all of the dirt races. He swept 
all of the dirt races. That is a tremendous accomplishment. And of course, two of those wins were in grade one races, the grade one Malibu with the big favorite there, Taba, getting the victory for his third grade one win of the year. And then also fun to dream winning the grade one La Brea for three-year-old Phillies. Yeah, not a bad day there. And Boy, the optimism has to be great down there, John, for the Santa Anita meet. You know, there's been some, uh, you know, not so great times the last four or five years, but uh, Southern California racing been on an upswing. Del Mar's had a couple good summer meets and you had good weather, record handle. And how about that jockey colony on opening day with, uh, you know, Frankie DeTore added to Mike Smith, uh, Johnny Velasquez, Flavian Pratt, Joe Bravo, Tyler Gaffleone, uh, Juan Hernandez is for well entrenched down there as well with four wins opening day. You guys got a lot to look forward to, don't you? Well, we certainly do. It is really one of our strongest jockey colonies that we've had uh, in recent times. No question about especially adding an international superstar like Frankie DeTore, who has announced that He's going to uh, retire from riding. Uh, his final couple of days of riding will be at the 2023 Breeders' Cup that will be held in early November at Santa Anita. Mm-hmm. Another jockey that uh, has, has made a very favorable impression is Kyle Frey. And look, guys, when I was a kid, I can remember uh, listening to my father and a good friend of his that was a good handicapper and lived for a time in Southern California and actually saw Dr. Fager win the 1968 Californian at Hollywood Park. But my dad and his friend, they would sit there on many a night and argue who was a better jockey, Paul Frey or Lenny Knowles. (laughs) (laughs) And, you you know, some people were arguing who was better, Mickey Mantle or Willie Mays or uh, in other sports. But (laughs) for my father and his friend, Lenny Knowles and Paul Frey, and they would go back and forth, back and forth, and back and forth. And they were both real star jockeys in the Pacific Northwest, Paul Frey and Lenny Knowles. So when I hear the name Kyle Frey, it brings back quite a fond memory for me as a kid. Larry Pierce and Roy Yaka right there in that conversation as well. Yes, indeed. Well, Larry Pierce will always hold the soft spot in my heart. Because he wrote Turn to Fire when she won the mm. 1972 Fashion Handicap in a dramatic photo finish over Fleet Ahead, who had been the course of the beating the year before at Playfair. And uh, Larry got up with the Turn to Fire as a heavy favorite. That was my first $100 bet in my life. And I waited, waited, waited to, to try to pick. I wasn't interested in cashing at a big price. I just really wanted that milestone wager to be a winning wager. And a turning for home, batted a princess who was favored with fleet ahead, was leading, and it looked like turn to fire wasn't going to fire. She had won the fashion the year before as a three-year-old filly, one of the best fillies to ever run in the Pacific Northwest for sure. She beat the boys. She beat older fillies and mares as a three-year-old. And she came up from Golden Gate Fields, and uh, I thought she was a lock in that fashion. But at the head of the stretch, I thought, well, I better start rooting for Bat of the Princess to maybe wire the field and bail me out. And then Fleet Ahead took the lead in the final furlong. But here came Larry Pierce and turned to fire, and they just got up in time. 
I was standing with my father right next to the winner's circle there at Long Acres. A great memory for me. Larry Pierce, of course, also the regular rider of my all-time favorite horse, Turbulator, world record setter, and really the most popular horse to ever run in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, there are others like Captain Condo, but I don't think there's any Trooper. question that Turbulator ranks number one in terms of popularity among all-time uh, Northwest runners. And Chinook Pass would also be one of the most oh. popular horses. Okay, uh, John. The lone uh, Clips Award-winning Washington bred, but uh, Larry Pierce teamed up with Turbulator for many a victory through the years and uh, in dramatic come-from-behind fashion. John, what about the day when Gary Bays rode Trooper 7 to a second straight mile win? I mean, in terms of popularity, that that Trooper, there could be a case made for him at that point. Well, John recognized that race with his top 75 performances yeah. in Washington racing. Yeah, That's right, and, and no question, Trooper was one of the all-time favorite horses, and in fact... His father was one of my all-time favorite horses because Table Run, uh, in uh, 1973, I happened to uh, lose my first quarter tuition money for Eastern Washington University betting on a horse called Briartic in the Long Acres Mile coming out of Post 8, which at that time no horse had ever won the mile out of Post 8. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, there's going to be one this year, Briartic. Well, Briartic didn't win, and he didn't even he didn't fire. He didn't run a jump. And uh, that was a dramatic photo finish between Silver Mallet trained by the late, great Jim Penny, holding off the Taha Prince, who was coming in for Bobby Frankel from Southern California off a fast win in the Bing Crosby handicap. That was an exciting race, except for me realizing I was kind of in trouble as far as uh, being able to pay my college tuition for the first quarter at Eastern Washington. But uh, the following Sunday, a play fair. I had seven winners and bet all seven of them. Wow. Took that money and drove to Long Acres on Monday, Labor Day, bet seven winners out of the 10 race card. Dang. And one of those seven was Table Run, who won uh, the Seattle Handicap, defeating uh, Silver Mallet, and even Turbolator was in that field. And in fact, That's- on the front of the daily racing form, it said that that had to be the best race at that time in the history of Long Acres as far as the quality of that field. Best hitter was in there. And he ran it second. Was just a really strong field, and uh, Table Run won very convincingly that day under Lenny Knowles. Yeah, he did. That was a, just an outstanding field. Best hitter had set the uh, North American record for six and a half furlongs. I'm pretty sure it was his previous start. And, of course, uh, the field was a stakes winner that year and had a Southern Cal resume and Silver Mallet coming off his mile win and table run. Uh, it was no contest, as John said. And the public, I think he paid 320 to win. Does that sound right? Something like that? That sounds exactly right. He was 3 to 5. I was there. Uh, well down from the morning line, I can tell you that. He, you know, And I was afraid he might get hammered. Table run earlier that year had finished second to Sham at Santa Anita. And, of course, Sham beat Secretariat in the Wood Memorial uh, when they both lost to Secretariat's stablemate, Anglelite. And then, of course, uh, Sham finished second to Secretariat in both the Kentucky Derby and Preakness before Secretariat then completed a triple crown sweep to end a 25-year drought winning the Belmont Stakes by 31 lengths. And in my high school paper, the Lewis and Clark Journal in March of 1993, I predicted that Secretariat would win the Triple Crown and end the drought since citation in 1948. Yep. 
and uh, some good stuff there down memory lane. And Vince, I'm going to ask John a question about Turbulator. Uh Uh-oh. Well, you know, uh, who rode Turbulator in that great streak uh, in 1969 over at Playfair, John? Well, it started with Frank Enda, who was a former sheep herder in Spain. (laughs) And uh, Frank was a successful jockey at Playfair. And interestingly, what the race that cost Frank into the mount on Turbulator was the race where I became a Turbulator fan. And that was a, a race at the Playfair course distance of about six and a half furlongs. It was actually Turbulator's third start at that meet. He would win seven in a row, capped off by wins in the uh, Playfair mile, defeating Silver, Silver Double, and then winning the two-mile Inland Empire Marathon under 128 pounds. But in that race I'm talking about, at about six and a half furlongs, Frank Enda had Turbulator boxed in, approaching the far turn, all the way, most of the way around the far turn, finally swung him out wide. And the momentum of swinging him out wide took him all the way, basically almost to the outside fence. And from the top of the stretch, and I was standing near the winner's circle on that occasion, I had never seen a horse come down the lane as fast as Turbulator did that day. Now, keep in mind, this was only his third career victory. And I mean, he was an absolute blur coming down that stretch that day. And I realized I was seeing something very special. Yeah. And I I would, it, with each race at that beat, I would tell my dad, Turbulator's a lock today. And he'd say, yeah, but he hasn't beaten anything. And he just went right up the ladder and again, winning seven straight from six furlongs to two miles. How many horses do you see do that? But that race, because Frank Enda had him so troubled in that race, that owner, breeder, trainer Tom Crawford switched to Dan Castle. And it was Dan Castle who rode Turbulator in his final four wins of okay. the seven-race streak. Dan Castle would later be killed in an accident at Portland Meadows. He was a he was a good rider and it had it was a very sad uh, end to his life at Portland. But uh, stakes race named after Larry him. Then it was Paris who rode Turbulator for the first time in the Yakima Mile, where they smashed the track record that day, and it was a track record that would stand until 1993. It stood for 23 years until it was broken by a Tennessee bred by the name of Slew of Damascus, trained by Craig Roberts. And Slew Damascus would go on to win the Hollywood Gold Cup here in Southern California. Yeah, indeed. Turbulator, uh, the statue is here at Emerald Downs as you take the escalator or the stairs right from our main entrance up to track level. And uh, Well, and you played a big role in that, Joe. Thank goodness you did. I was interviewing Marguerite Crawford uh, at her home in Spokane to write uh, an extensive article on Turbulator for the Washington Thoroughbred Magazine. And I I talked to her for like four to five hours, an entire afternoon. Mm-hmm. And uh, toward the end of that interview, I asked her, whatever happened to that Turbulator statue? Because at that time, Playfair is, had already ceased racing. And she says, well, it's in my garage. <laughs> and I said, well, Mrs. Crawford, <laughs> what are you going to do with that? And she said, well... I'm going to give it to the Spokane Interstate Fair. And I, I pleaded with her. I said, please, Mrs. Crawford, no one's going to know mm. who he is at the Spokane Interstate Fair. He belongs at Emerald Downs. 
I said, if Emerald Downs contacts you, would you consider having that statue at Emerald Downs? And she said, well, yes, I'll think about it. And so uh, when I left Marguerite Crawford's home, I immediately called Joe, and Joe, you were right on top of it, and so you were you played a key role in getting that statue where it really belongs at Emerald Downs. Hey, we were overjoyed to get that, and uh, Marguerite Crawford was outstanding at Turbulator's uh, Hall of Fame induction as well, and of course she was up in years, but she was sharp, and that was a, a fine night at Emerald Downs. I'm going to do one real brief okay. thing down memory lane, because John, you mentioned you saw turbulator at Coeur d'Alene, right? That is correct. It's a race that never appeared on his official record because uh, in 1969, the this Daily is... Racing Forum didn't recognize the races at Coeur d'Alene. It was a so-called bush track. That changed in 1970. So if turbulator had debuted at Coeur d'Alene a year later, that race would have shown up. And he ran in a five-and-a-half furlong allowance race uh, as a four-year-old maiden and my dad and I were kind of puzzled why Tom Crawford was running him uh, against winners in this race at Coeur d'Alene. And he ran a decent third. He ran greenly that day, never really threatened. Stout knee wanted to testify with second. <laughs> they were two kind of uh, those hard-knocking, lower-level type claiming horses, starter allowance type horses. Uh, testify had a lot of success over in Montana. But uh, what happened was Crawford was giving him a race at Coeur d'Alene to take him to Portland Meadows, and he ran him twice there, once for Maiden 1,500, mm-hmm. not 15,000, 1,500 claiming, and he was a 4-5 to five favorite, got beat, and that was going six furlongs. Then he came back at Portland for Maiden 2,000 claiming and got beat. Mark Jennings was aboard for both of those races. Harry Mochenbacher rode to Urbillator in his career debut at Coeur d'Alene, and uh, a lot of gamblers flew down to Portland thinking that this horse, had, the word was he'd won a lot of races in the bushes, and that wasn't right. He'd run actually one time and got beat. But uh, the, these people thought that uh, they were going to get a real betting coup there, and he got bet down so heavy and got beat both times. But, boy, when he showed up a play fair, that's when he, the real turbulator showed up. And as I say, seven straight wins from six furlongs to two miles. Uh, just that he was really at the top of his game, guys. I honestly think he, as far as his ability, would he beat Secretariat? No. You know, uh, I once was at a party here in Southern California with Mike Pewich, and that, that was the first time I met Mike Pewich, and he was being asked at this party before I got introduced to Mike Pewich, who's the best horse? <laughs> you've ever seen and he said i'll guarantee you there isn't anybody here at this party that's even going to know of this horse i'm talking about and they said well if if he's the best horse you've ever seen how come nobody's heard of him and he says because he's running the pacific northwest where i'm from and his name's turbulator my my wife went oh my goodness this is going to be like an hour's talk between these two guys and she left the room <laughs> and of course mike hewitt and i did uh talk about turbulator Mike had told the girl that this horse would drill Secretariat. And I told Mike, I said, well, I'm going to tell you two things right here and now. Number one is you think you're Turbulator's biggest fan. The day will come where you will concede that that's not right, that I am his biggest fan. That day will come, I promise you. And secondly, even though I'm Turbulator's biggest fan, 
he would not drill secretary. <laughs> I can tell you that. And years later, when I was up to have a nice dinner with Vince, you, Vince, and, and Joe at uh, a nice restaurant there uh, when I was up for the Long Acres Mile, and Mike Hewitt was there, and Mike started the dinner by raising his glass of wine and saying, John said something years ago that I would end up saying, and I'm going to say it now, he's right. He's the <laughs> Turbulator's biggest fan, not me. So that was a very memorable uh, toast at that dinner. But uh, Yeah, until you know, that I, night, John, uh, he would bristle when I would say, boy, I don't know, I think John White's right up there. You know, there's uh, John White and Bob Schwartzman was a big fan, and I know you are yep. too, but uh, he would bristle at that. But then he finally conceded, and rightly so. And uh, I say this because, well, I, he would not have beaten Secretariat. I do think he was comparable at his, at his very best of maybe Sham. And uh, one of the reasons I say that is because Turbulator, in the late stages of his career in that Seattle handicap, didn't finish all that far behind Table Run, who had finished second with Sham. So, mm-hmm. And that wasn't Turbulator at his very best by any stretch of the imagination. So I really think Turbulator at, at his best. A, a Southern California fan here once asked me a good question. Who would win between Chinook Pass and Turbulator? And I said, that's a really great question. As far as my opinion of that, Chinook Pass would beat Turbulator at every distance up to six furlongs. But once we get the six and a half furlongs, it switches, and Turbulator would beat Chinook Pass, even though Chinook won the mile. But Turbulator, remember, he did hold the world record for six and a half furlongs. And I think from six and a half furlongs on up, Turbulator would beat the Chinook Pass. So, and really, you're talking about two exceptional Washington breads, two of the greatest of all time. Definitely. And uh, Turbulator took off 1971 after that uh, historic 1970 season and I hadn't seen him run until 72 and he did come back and uh, you're talking about the Seattle handicap well that was 73 okay well in the closing day of 72 he won the Washington championship he had run in the mile in 72 and only got beat like two and a half three lengths or so was a big, that's right two and a half that's right okay big jam up there and uh these early views of racing and, you know, when you're a kid, I mean, it's etched in your memory pretty good. But I, I can still say that I have never seen a horse run that fast in a two-turn race down the stretch as Turbulator did when he passed Gray Papa in the final 100 yards to win that Washington championship. I mean, he was absolutely, it was, yeah, yeah, it was really something. You know, you see a lot of closing sprinters with that kick that are flying at the end, but this guy was going a mile and a 16th that day, and it it was really something. So I have that one. Well, and Gray Papa was coming off his world record for the most commonly (laughs) run distance in North America, six furlongs under Joe Bays on Labor Day. And, what is kind of an interesting tidbit for that Washington championship in 1972, which Turbulator came fairly close to the track record that he had set in 1970. Mm. And he was under a hammer lock, the final 16th of a mile in that Washington championship in 1970. It was one of the easiest wins of his entire life. And he broke a long standing track record with a time of 141 flat. And like I say, he was far from all out. He w- he just was, uh, under wraps 
the last part of that. But in that 1972 Washington Championship, he was farther behind at the eighth pole than Silkie Sullivan, the greatest temper-behind horse in thoroughbred racing history, had been at the eighth pole in any of his races, including Silky Sullivan's incredible victory at Santa Anita when he won, ridden for the first time by Bill Shoemaker, and came in a six and a half furlong race from 41 lengths off the pace <laughs> to win that day. Yeah. But he wasn't as far behind at the eighth pole as Turbulator was in that Washington championship. Jeez. Yeah. That, oh, I, you know, I didn't, I didn't realize that, John, but uh, I sure remember the race. That's for sure. Okay. Well, John, um, how about one more question? Uh, who are you going to vote for for champion three year old on your Eclipse Award ballot? Well, look, you can. I think Epicenter is probably going to win it. I don't have a problem with that. Uh, for me, I had kind of made up my mind going into the Malibu that if Table won, and especially if he won emphatically, which he did, I was going to vote for him because he's got the three grade one wins. But that's not the only reason. Uh, Table also had done something that historic. You know, Epicenter didn't, you know, won the Travers impressively. I think that was the best performance by a three-year-old male this year. But what Taba did in the Santa Anita Derby had never been achieved before, and that is to win the Santa Anita Derby that, you know, was started in the 1930s. No horse had ever won it with only one race under his belt. And so having that historic achievement along with three grade one wins. And I also took the extra step to take the average buyer speed figure for the two horse and throw out one race for each horse. And for Taba, I throw out the Kentucky Derby, which was the only race in which he did not earn a triple digit buyer speed figure. And for Epicenter, I threw out obviously the Breeders' Cup Classic in which he was injured and did not finish. And for Taba, his average buyer speed figure was a 105, whereas Epicenter's was 100.5. So quite a disparity there in terms of your average buyer speed figure. So that was, and that, again, that's not the only reason. Uh, you can go back and forth. As I say, I think Epicenter will have such support, particularly from the people in the East, that I think he'll probably get it. And I don't have a problem with that. I think they're both worthy candidates but my own personal vote because of uh winning that santa nina derby doing something no horse had ever done before and getting three grade one wins plus there's the uh, kind of the versatility for Taba, you know to win a grade one race at seven furlongs as well as the santa nina derby at a mile and an eighth and the pennsylvania derby at a mile and an eighth that kind of versatility i think that's another real quality I mentioned that's was something that really signified how extraordinary Turbulator was that within one meeting he could win races from six long to two miles. So, uh, so for me, my vote uh, is going to Taba. Okay. Well, I knew you would, I didn't prep you on that, but I knew you'd have your research done and, and there it was right there laid out. And Epicenter is a, a worthy foe for sure. I'm seeing uh, eight starts, four wins, and three seconds, so his only uh, non-top-two finish was that Breeders' Cup Classic when he uh, 
came up with a, a little bit of a physical issue there. So and he ran second in the Kentucky Derby and Preakness. So you know, yeah. running well in two of the three Triple Crown races uh, certainly is also uh, to his credit, no question about it. So uh, you know, it's it's one of those situations that you could go back and forth. Uh, you know, it's like when I had my first voting for the Eclipse Awards was 1976 when I voted for a two-year-old by the name of Seattle Slew's champion two-year-old male. He only made three starts that year, and I took a lot of flack for voting for him, and he did get it. Yeah. But there, I had people even telling me that I was only voting for Seattle Slew because I was from the Northwest. <laughs> yeah. And I said, no, it's the Champagne Stakes was by far in a way, the best performance by a two-year-old, not only this year, but one of the best in racing history. He won that day, you know, for the moment, was supposed to be the next foolish pleasure or honest pleasure going into that race. And turning for home, if you go to YouTube and watch that race, for the moment looms menacingly turning for home as Seattle Slough just drew off and won by a big margin in 134 and change for a two-year-old. And to me, I said... You know, Royal Ski or Run Dusty Run, they're not in Seattle Slew's League, in my opinion. So, you know, to show you how racing has changed this year, we will have a uh, Horse of the Year who only ran three times in Flightline, but all three races were spectacular, most especially that Del Mar uh, race, the Pacific Classic, that he ran a race that brought back Secretariat's Belmont stakes for a lot of people, including Dave Johnson, who called Secretariat's Belmont at Belmont Park for the on-track card. It was Chick Anderson called it on television, mm. but uh, certainly that race by flight line was one for the ages, winning that Pacific Classic like he did. John White, you are, of course, uh, uh, the morning line maker at Santa Anita. We saw opening day on uh, Monday. Day two today is Friday of their meet, December 30th. What is the schedule going forward for Santa Anita? What are the post times daily? And uh, uh, a little different, it seems like, this year with the break after opening day. Well, we're going to race. Uh, we have the racing today, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. And then we'll take a break and resume on Friday. So, uh and the racing office was very smart. You know, we're we're having the threat of rain on Saturday. And so what they did is they're hoping the rain will hold off because they carded the two graded stakes races on the grass early in the card. The first race, the Joe Hernandez. And by the way, Joe Hernandez was the very first track announcer at Long Anchors mm-hmm. in 1933. There were only four track announcers in the history of Long Acres. You had Joe Hernandez, then Chick O'Neill, then Harry Henson, and then Chick O'Neill came back. And then in 1972, Gary Henson, Harry Henson's son, was the final of the four announcers in the history of Long Acres. So we've got the Joe Hernandez stakes on Saturday at Santa Anita, and it's a really strong field coming down the hill, hopefully down the hill, unless we get knocked off by the rain. But the racing office, uh, with an eye toward the possibility of rain, didn't card it late in the card. They put that race first, and then they put the uh, Robert J. Frankel stakes, the third race, a grade three race for fillies and mares on the turf as, as the third race. And, of course, Bobby Frankel 
with quite a, a good history of winning the Long Acres Mile numerous times. Three times, In yeah. fact, when he won it the first time with you, Whippy, uh, people that, uh, from the media went down to the winner's circle, and they asked, are you Bobby Frankel? And they, the person would say, no. Are you Bobby Frankel? No. Are you Bobby Frankel? No. They said, where's Bobby Frankel? We thought he was here. They said, he is. He's over at the concession stand. So they went. Here was the Seattle media trooping over to the concession stand under the grandstand there at Long Acres to interview Bobby Frankel in his jeans and T-shirt after he'd won the Long Acres Mile with Hugh Whippy, a son of the great Dr. Fager. Yeah, and uh, I spoke with Bobby Frankel after he won with Simply Majestic, and he was in a pretty darn good mood. And I've heard some stories that sometimes he wasn't in a pretty good mood, but he was that day. In fact, I even kind of sort of crowded him. He go, hey, no, we'll do it. Just just give me a second here. Yeah, you, you, know? <laughs> you know what the deal with Bobby was? Because I had to go back there a lot of times and deal with him with media, uh, with the uh, publicity office and then with the racing forum. He could be brusque, but he was worth the trouble because when he was in the mood, and John, well, you'll attest to that, he could fill your notebook with great quotes and great observations, not only on racing, but on a lot of, <laughs> he had opinions on a lot of things. Yeah. He really did. He was such a... a just an intelligent person, so smart, uh, really street smart. I mean, and he he and he liked it if you stood up to him. I mean, you know, that was one thing I learned early on was, you know, don't just kowtow to him. You know, you if you've got an opinion, state your opinion to him, and he would respect you for that. So, but uh, he was such an outstanding horseman. I mean, he really just uh, was phenomenal. I mentioned Tom Roberts, who had uh, won training titles at Playfair and then went over to Long Acres and won training titles there. That was his idol, was Bobby Frankel. Mm. And actually, uh, for a time, Tom Roberts had the Northern California horses for Bobby Frankel. That's how much respect Bobby Frankel mm. had for Tommy Roberts. Okay, I didn't know that one, but that's great. Uh, John, thank you so much for your time. Uh past present and future stuff for john white as usual and uh always great to have you on i know our listeners uh, appreciate it as well so the great race place underway john's doing the morning line and uh on to racing at santa anita so john happy new year once again and we'll catch up with you soon happy new year to you guys and uh, you know my heart's always in the pacific northwest you bet yeah thank you john thanks john John White joining us on the Horse Racing Northwest, as I tried to say the win play show there. But And, you know, we he did wade into the turbulator waters. Yeah. And uh, uh, you know what's great about that, though, is I've heard John talk about turbulator for, you know, over 20 years now. And the enthusiasm for it is as strong as it ever was. Huge. It's just, and it's so authentic and real and genuine that it's just, it's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. You better believe it. Uh well, we're going to uh, take a break in a moment here and come back with Patrick Carrison, uh, former director of media relations here at Emerald Downs. Um, uh, one uh, sad note to uh, inform is the passing of Victoria Miller, uh, an active owner here at Emerald Downs. Uh, boy, she was on the track apron quite a bit, a big Alan Bozell fan, um, and she just uh was part owner of a couple horses this past year sarah's finale march on lynch 
and came, yeah. out, came out for training quite a bit. Boy, she just had a, a really bad thing this, uh, this fall, this winter when she had a reaction and from a, a liver situation. And so our condolences to her family. We'll miss her. She was a, a bright light out there on the apron at Emerald Downs, Victoria Miller passing this pat this month in 2022. Okay, well, we're going to take a time out. We'll come back with Patrick Carrison in our final segment here on Horse Racing Northwest. The biggest and best of the Northwest just got even better. Introducing the all-new Muckleshoot Rewards Program with three tiers and extraordinary benefits. Play with your Muckleshoot Rewards card to earn points for free play and qualify for dining discounts, gifts, and much more. The more you play, the more you earn. Enjoy more benefits than ever before with the new Muckleshoot Rewards Program. Muckleshoot Casino, the biggest and best in the Northwest. Horse Racing Northwest continues, and again, dancing at the Downs tonight, Friday, December 30th, 8 to 11 p.m. Get your tickets right now at emeralddowns.com for $10. It'll be $15 at the door of the Sonic Funk Orchestra tonight, and gates are going to open at 7 p.m. The show starts at 8, 8 to 11 p.m., plenty of foods and beverages, and Sonic Funk Orchestra to close out the year. Dancing at the Downs returns tonight, Friday night, here at Emerald Downs. Horse Racing Northwest continues, and uh, a fella is joining us on the line. It uh, is not the most joyous of Decembers in the season for him, but uh, I certainly enjoyed working with him back uh, around 2006 at Emerald Downs as Director of Media Relations. And uh, we have Patrick Carrison on the line right now. Patrick, uh, good day to you. Hey, gentlemen. How are you? Very good, Patrick. Great to hear your voice, uh, Patrick. We had some fun. We got a lot of work done that summer. Uh, Vince, Vince Brune has been in that capacity since 2008. And, um, you know, where your, of course, your name came up in the last few days. And again, our condolences very much to the passing of your father, Ray Carrison. Thank you. Yeah. Greatest man I ever knew. Wow. You know, that, and that's great, uh, to have somebody like that in your life all these years. And he did live a great long life. Patrick, uh, shoot, uh, where do we start? You know, I wasn't aware that he was from Australia originally. Oh, yeah, born and raised. I mean, he um, born and raised in southern Australia in 1930, made his first trip to the States in 56 via London, and then they went back to Australia for a couple more years, came back in 65, and then they settled here in the States. But uh, they never lost the accent, and they never lost their love of Australian racing. Ah, never lost the accent. Wow, that's that's uh, saying something because that's a lot of years here, uh, getting influenced by our uh, our brogue over here. But Ray Carrison, uh, <laughs> I know he started with the New York Post there in the late seventies, and yep. shoot, in reading all the comments from his colleagues, and uh, boy, it sounded like. Uh, and you're going to say some nice things about your father, but a lot of other people have as well, Patrick. You know, it has been um, an absolutely beautiful experience. 
the phone calls, the emails, the text messages, the Twitter notes, I mean, uh, messages on Instagram, social media from so many people, people whose names I've known and have heard but have never spoken with, people who have just said one beautiful thing after another about my father, you know, and he was, he was an investigative journalist mm-hmm. in horse racing. And when the New York Post brought him on, so Rupert Murdoch took took over for the New York Post on December 31st, 1976. On January 1st, he hired my dad as his first racing writer, and he wanted to make racing a much bigger piece of the New York Post at the time. And Time Magazine... Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, we didn't say anything. Go ahead. You're up. So, So Time Magazine does this piece on Murdoch, and they mention that he wants to get the racing business on the New York Post on the upswing and a lot more coverage. So that gave the Daily News and Newsday a little bit of pause, and then they had to go out and find some racing riders themselves. And that was what brought Russ Harris to the New York Daily News and John Preachy to New York Newsday. Um, Preachy wrote a, a beautiful article on my dad after mm. his passing as well. And Russ Harris used to make jokes to my father all the time, because if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't have a job here. Wow. So uh, he, he, I mean, he... He was nominated for a Pulitzer for for um, a story he broke at Belmont about uh, a vet who brought a couple horses down from Uruguay and that looked a lot alike to each other and ran the slow one a few times, got nice fat odds, then he ran the good one. And uh, he cast a big fat ticket. I, but, um, I remember that. My father caught, yeah. My father caught on, and uh, then the Post sent him and a bunch of New York detectives down to Uruguay, and they figured it all out, and they found out the vet's wife was in on it. And wow. So he won a couple of big awards in New York for journalism, and he got nominated for a Pulitzer, which is pretty cool. I mean, honestly, he never really cared about the accolades, but it's something his son can brag about. You know, Patrick, and, uh, oh, I'm sorry. No, no, go ahead. Well, you know, you got you got a website, horseshoesandwine.com. And I would encourage anyone to go there and read your your obituary you wrote on your father. And, you know, uh, you capture what a great man he was, dying at age 92. But there he is, the pictures of him with Gregory Peck, uh, with Audrey Hepburn, with Svetlana Stalin, I guess, a granddaughter of Jozo Stalin. And he was, uh, your man was, your father, I mean, was a very uh, varied and learned and... Uh, respected uh, man and certainly horse racing was a big part of it but boy there was yeah. a lot to your father overwhelmingly humble um mm. it wasn't until my late 30s that he and my mom kind of put together their own little memoir and, and by memoir i mean 100 pages on a word document <laughs> and and then shared pictures of him with peck and eli wallach and omar sharif and charlton heston and muhammad ali and and <laughs> Where did all these things come from, man? And it it was... Okay, let me tell you my favorite story. Yep. He gets a call on a Sunday, says, Ray, we need to go cover this uh, this show today, the rehearsal for this show. And he says, all right. So he goes out there. Now, for this show, they wouldn't put the press in for the main taping, only rehearsals, right? So he goes there, and all he knows, it's some kid who's a singer. Right? He knows nothing about him, can't even remember his name. He gets there, the guy comes out with his guitar, girls go screaming hog wild for him. Good looking dude, jet black hair, a little curl on his lip, shakes his hips. Next thing you know, 
Later that same evening on the Ed Sullivan Show, Elvis Presley's the name that everybody remembers. And he covered that. Wow. And he never mentioned word one to any of his kids. I mean, that... Humble. Okay, that, was, that was September 9th, 1956. Literally 50 years later, the History Channel came out and said that that was one of the days that changed the scope of America. Sure. And he just was like, yeah, just another day at the office for Rick Harrison. He was there and, boy, just uh, didn't come home bragging or try and be the no. center of it, but just found himself with his expertise and his uh, journalistic job to be involved in a lot of these things, huh, Patrick? Uh, absolutely. He, spent, he, he was flying to Birmingham, Alabama in 1963 because Dr. King was about to have a march the next day. Found out he was on the flight. Dr. King invited them to sit down. They spent 30 minutes wow. chewing the fat, talking to each other. Never said a word to any of us. Yeah. And, he never did write a book about his own experiences, huh? He's just that humbles, I no. guess. Yeah. No, I, oh, I would have loved for him to do it. But yeah. you know, like I said, he did put together the, this memoir, which I put together for, you know, like a little family book. And, and so we could all reflect and see the amazing things and hear the amazing things he did. And so many of the funny stories he had of he and mom kind of circling the globe. And, of course, his bad beats at the track and <laughs> all his horse racing stuff. Just so much fun. Bad well, beats at the track and he, he never cursed? You never heard him curse? Not once. Jeez. In my 53, 54 years, did I ever hear that man swear? Um, and 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 even though I'll have a sibling or two who who deny this, we all gave him reason to want to at one time or another. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you, you don't have seven kids uh, in in a house and not want to swear. Oh yeah, it, another one of my favorite anecdotes, Patrick, was you said you you went with your father to work one day at Saratoga. And he told you, well, it's time time for dad to go to work here. And you kind of sat off and you just, uh, you described uh, how observing your dad and it kind of occurred to you what a cool man he was. I wish you could share that. So it's just, and, and okay, so in the press box in Saratoga, they really don't like anybody in there who's not press. But um, my dad got along well with everybody and he said, all right, Patrick, you can sit here just... Um, or he would say in his accent, and it's very nice. And all right, sit down there, lovey, and don't talk. All right, okay. don't say a word. <laughs> all right. And so he would just then go sit there in front of his typewriter. And this is the late seventies, so plaid was still cool. <laughs> and he had his plaid jacket and his cigarette in his hand, and he's just looking out there at the races in Saratoga. And this is when you had Eddie Maple, Angel Cadero, Jorge Velasquez, you know, top. Hall of Fame jockeys all competing against each other. And I was looking at him with a cigarette and his typewriter thinking, that is the coolest dude in the world, right? <laughs> he's, I mean, he's, he's in the press box, he's smoking a cigarette, he's writing his articles, he's picking his horses, and he's doing the track, and they pay him for this, Vincent Joe. They pay him for this. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've got into it yourself, and um, uh, shoot, uh, what, what a role model, and... How about around the house growing up? I mean, he, he wasn't cussing with all those kids. Uh, did he bring the job home a little bit? I mean, you're talking about him humble. He probably didn't come home bragging, but uh, he, with meeting all those people, there must have been a few stories here and there that uh, you were enthralled by. He, I, I will tell you, as far as sitting at the dinner table talking, he might say things here and there, but he always just kept things quiet. He was just, it's like he was always 
thinking. And mm. once he banged out an article and he sent it through to the paper, well, it's done. What's next? Yeah. You know, it's always, what's the next story? What's the next story? And when, he's, when he was writing a story, he is so deeply and heavily engrossed in it. But once he hits that final period and those pound signs and he sends it in, it's on to the next one. You know, um, yeah, that's the life of a journalist. There always is a next one. That's a job. And yeah, boy, you know, I mean, he started during the heyday. And boy, the 70s was a, just a tremendous decade in thoroughbred racing. And, and he got a start any in the u.s anyway at that time and he and i guess he found a love of horse racing when he was still in australia did he yeah well his father used to be a bookmaker ah okay um, both on the books and maybe not so much on the books and <laughs> uh there was a time he comes running he comes riding his bike back into their little farm in south australia and he sees a whole bunch of cars in the driveway and a couple of them belong to the police but he turns around and he rides back into town now, you got to understand, back then in the late 30s, early 40s, they didn't have bars. People hung out in hotels, and that's where they had their drinks. So he'd go in there. He'd run into the hotel and say, don't call Percy Carrison. Don't call Percy Carrison. That was my grandfather. Mm. You know, you can't take any bets kind of thing. And uh, an hour or so went by, and, and the cops were getting really frustrated because the phone didn't ring. And can you imagine that? A Saturday afternoon with yeah. horse racing everywhere. Well, my grandfather kicked the line out from the wall. And, you know, never told the cops. So when they figured it out and they plugged it in and, you know, they couldn't get anything on him. Uh, he, he hid his betting slips. They never found them on him. <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, dad, uh, dad was involved since he was a boy. He wanted to be a jockey. He knew he'd be too big. But he, he loved the races since he, he knew what a horse was. Well, Patrick, since you were at Emerald Downs, it sounds like you're, you're still are keep in touch with racing. What, what else are you up to these days? Well, I don't work in horse racing. And you know, they say if you love sausage, you don't work in a sausage factory. So I had fulfilled pretty much every dream I needed to in horse racing professionally. And I had such a great time. I loved Emerald Downs. And uh, there was nothing like going to work when the mountain was out. Yep. Um, what an absolutely beautiful place for horse racing. Uh, so I, I still follow it. Um, father-in-law owns some horses here and there. He's got a horse running tomorrow at Tampa. Um the only time I didn't bet her, she hit at fifty to one. Oh, the only time, so oh. that's my life. Oh boy! Uh, but no, I'm I'm still a fan. Um, big big fan. Well, that's great, and I certainly enjoyed working with you. I've told Vince that many times. Uh, Patrick was a, just a great worker who came to work with a smile on his face and uh, loved loved being around the game. Um, and just yep. he put the time in to to get the job done properly. I always uh, respected that about you. You didn't leave anything uh, on the table. You got it all done. Thank you, Joe. I, I really Listen, did. I'm, when you have an opportunity like I had, I mean, I was only there for one year, so then I ended up going back to Oregon and then back home to New Jersey. But when you have that opportunity to run a media department and knowing where my father came from and what his expectations were when he was working in the game and covering races, you make the most of it. If you can, you get up in the morning, you go to the barns, you talk to the trainers, you watch the horses see, see the horses gallop in the morning. I mean, aside from the fact that it's one of the most beautiful views on a summer yeah. morning, having a cup of coffee and watching horses galloping down the street, um, it's what you do. It's where the stories are. It's where the people are. Yeah. You know, um, it's, it's not just the nine ten races in the afternoon. It's everything that happens in the mornings, too. So I took great advantage of that and loved every single second of it awesome well we certainly enjoyed having you and uh i heard uh 
I heard the uh, philosophy on the past, present, and future. I can't remember where. Just recently, within the last few weeks. And the past uh, is the present. I mean, the past, you and your father, I mean, you're not going to forget any of these things. And uh, what happened is in inside of us. And yeah, maybe it was 20, 30, 40 years ago, but it's still within you. And I know you're going to carry those for a long time and, and smile Very when you do. So. And think about it. When he got into it full time, Seattle Slew won the Triple Crown. The next year, Affirmed yeah. wins the Triple Crown. Right. He's thinking, well, yeah, all right, these are pretty good first couple of years. But um, I did ask him once who was his favorite horse that he ever watched run. And he was most impressed with Foolish Pleasure when he won the, uh, was it the 75 Derby? Uh, right. Yeah, Old Forks was seventy six. Yep. Yeah, I think he won seventy five yep. Derby. Yep. And uh, so that that was his that was his uh, one of his favorite moments. Yeah, he was a great horse. Got be I think he got beaten early in the Preakness, but had a tremendous career. Foolish pleasure, Patrick. Uh, so yeah. great to catch up with you. And I got your number, so uh, that is excellent. Uh, again, a tough time for the family, but your dad had a rich, full life, and you know that. That can always be said. So, uh, it was a tremendous life that he had, and um, you know, my siblings and I—I I think I can speak for everybody when I say we, we were definitely blessed to have a man who who practiced what he preached, and and, and he lived his life as a very good man, an honest man, uh, and and he always would say, you know what, a dishonest buck, the bad bucks will never take it, and I never saw him take one, and he was just always—he was my idol. He was—he was everything I ever hoped to be in life, and. Um, I'm really, really blessed to have had him. Really blessed. Can't say so much, so much, much more than that. Uh, Patrick Carrison speaking about his father, Ray Carrison, uh, highly respected man in this game of thoroughbred racing and journalism, uh, passing this month. Patrick, thank you so much, and and uh, have a happy New Year, man. Joe and Vince, my sincerest thanks to you both. This has been uh, such an honor to be a part of your podcast. I'm blessed. I thank you both very much, and Happy New Year to you as well. Thank you, Patrick. Happy New Year, Patrick. Bye, pa guys. Take care. Take care. Patrick Carrison joining us on Horse Racing Northwest. And, uh, yeah, uh, just uh, a lot online, of course, if you'd like to find out more about the career of Ray Carrison. Uh, so, uh, hey, Great to have John White on and Patrick talking about his father. Um, we're going to skip the sport shorts this week. We'll go uh, to selections. And I've got uh, something that, you know, I was going to talk a little bit about national sires that have done well. Bolt de Oro, mm -hmm. the son of Medallia Doro, who happened to be a three-year-old in Southern Cal the same year as Justify. Um, he is off to a great start as a sire. Sure I know is, you've yeah. seen that. You bet. First crop this year. He's got a first-time starter at Oaklawn on Saturday, last day of the year, in the eighth race, Barstool Babe. I see she's 15-to-1, uh, uh, I believe, morning line, uh, Ron Moquette Barn. And uh, the dam was a modest winner. I think this is the first full from the dam. But uh, I'm... I'm taking second looks at Bar uh, Bolt to Oro first-time starters, and there's one in the eighth at Oakland on Saturday. How about you? Okay, um, I'm going to break one of my handicapping rules, which is we all know I love second-time starters. You do too, Joe. But in race seven uh, tomorrow, that's Saturday at Golden Gate Fields, Tim McKenna 
has a horse called Smile and Profile, a two-year-old filly by Smiling Tiger out of Fragrant Harbor, who's thrown a really nice previous foal. Uh, she ran in a Maiden 25 her first out, now goes up to Maiden Special, a move I don't like, but she ran really greenly in that race. And uh, the barn is on a roll. And best of all, she's 12 to 1 with Frank Alvarado riding and uh, for Tim. And with the second out improvement, I think she's got a chance with the blinkers off to score the price. Hey, second time starters. Just uh, you'll hear that a lot from us. And there's one tomorrow at Golden Gate in the Tim McCanna barn. Okay, so uh, we'll go right to our trivia. We had a, I thought was a pretty tough question. But, of course, you know who got it, Russ Nakagawa. Oh, yeah. Russ is and awesome. And he, he reduced it to its simplest form. He's a smart guy, Russ. Uh, the question was, among Washington-bred horses, who has the longest gap in years between $100,000 earning seasons? So, of course, you had to have two $100,000 earning seasons. Who had the longest gap? And what did Russ do? He started looking at... Washington breads that have won $200,000 because, of course, you had to win that much. Mm -hmm. And he found it. Runaway Stevie, a fantastic two-year-old in 1991 at Long Acres, trained by Junior Coffee. Remember she, her, yeah. She won the Lassies, was second in the Gottstein. She won the Lassies by yeah. Open Lengths, oh, yeah. remember that? Daughter of Table Run. And uh, then in 1995, she had another fantastic season with over $100,000 earnings. And she also won at Emerald Downs here in 1996. Runaway Stevie, the answer. Russ Nakagawa got that. Great work, Russ. Got a, a prize for you. And so we'll have another question this week. Which Washington-bred horse has the most $100,000 earning seasons? Send your answers to trivia at emeralddowns.com. Which Washington bread has the most $100,000 earning individual seasons? That's our new question. Once again, Dancing at the Downs tonight, Friday night, 8 to 11 p.m. And thanks to our guests, John White and Patrick Carrison. That's it for Joe and Vince. And thanks for listening to Horse Racing Northwest.